Hey there, pastor, clergy, or community leader. Yeah, you. You know who I'm talking to. Is your community feeling scattered? Are you feeling worn out and frayed? Are you wondering what church looks like in 2021 or beyond? Well, guess what? Faith Street is here to help. Faith Street is an iOS and Android app that brings congregations together. It strengthens people's commitment to the church and each other. It builds community by promoting prayer, mindfulness, generosity, reflection, fellowship, and teaching as daily practices. If you're interested, you can go to faithstreet.com backslash snarky because snarky faith listeners can get 20% off. That's faithstreet, F-A-I-T-H-S-T-R-E-E-T.com backslash snarky. You're listening to WCOMLP 103.5 FM, Carborough and Chapel Hill. It's a Tuesday, it's five o'clock, and that only means one thing. It's time for another round of Snarky Faith with your host, Stuart Deloney. This is a space where we irreverently wrestle through life, culture, and spirituality, all with our heads in the clouds, our tongues in our cheeks, our hearts in our sleeves, and our feet on the ground. At Snarky Faith, the questions or even the answers are never the point. It's all about the conversation. So here's your host, Stuart Deloney. Well, good afternoon and welcome to another round of Snarky Faith. I'm your host, Stuart Deloney, and Snarky Faith is radio for the spiritually disenfranchised. If you've had enough of the insanity of Christianity, you've come to the right place. Here at Snarky Faith, we're about finding a sane faith that's grounded in reality and working to make the world a better place in tangible ways. This is not a zone for spiritual escapism, Sunday school answers, or Christianese. No, 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 no. We're here to call out religious BS and look for better ways forward. If you can handle your conversations about faith with copious amounts of... Sarcasm. And also a little bit of this... Then you've come to the right place. Welcome home. On today's show, we're going to be talking about... Hmm, how do I put this delicately? Well, it's Holy Week... And I'll get very undelicate in a little bit. So let's say how to fix the church as we reflect upon Easter. So we're going to be juggling that kind of idea together. And I'll spell it out a lot more plainly in a minute. But before we get to that, <laughs> before we descend into the snark, just a reminder that this broadcast and all past podcasts can be found at www.snarkyfaith.com and wherever else you listen to podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, YouTube. We're there. We're everywhere. Just look for Snarky Faith. If you like the show, make sure to share, subscribe, and if you're feeling generous, drop a review over on Apple Podcasts too. It helps to get the word out to new listeners. If you want to interact more with the show, you can find Snarky Faith page on Facebook. Drop me a line at questions at snarkyfaith.com. And there's even a snarky hotline. If you want to leave a message, that will probably end up on the air. The number is 919-525-1570. That's 919-525-1570. So kicking off the show, I've got to unleash a fair warning to all of you that are regular listeners. If this is the first time or second time you're listening to the show, hey, welcome to Snarky Faith. <laughs> this isn't normal, but you'll catch on. For our regular listeners, I'm going to be doing stuff a little bit out of order today. Typically, we kind of hop into the Christian crazy, talk about a bunch of things going into the news, and then we hop into our main story for the second half of the show. 
But we're actually going to be doing things a little bit topsy-turvy today and starting with the end and the beginning. Well, actually, before even that, we've got a little bit of family news I want to make you guys aware of that's going on here at the show. So if you guys are cool with us being able to do this a little bit backwards, so don't worry, you'll still get your crazy, and we're going to talk plenty about fixing the church in reflection of Easter. Mm-hmm. Which is the lamest sounding show ever, but I have my own words. I'll get to my own words in a moment. Now, one thing I do want to bring up, I wanted to bring up to you guys that, hey, Snarky Faith has a sponsor. What? Yes, I know. So for those of you that don't know this, I'll open up like a little bit of curtain to the backward inner workings of Snarky Faith. Uh, That's not that terribly interesting, but just for the sake of explaining these things to you, I will give you this bit of information. So Snarky Faith actually airs, airs, airs terrestrially on the radio in Chapel Hill and Carborough on Tuesday afternoons. And for the, the vast majority of the rest of you, you hear this wherever you are out in the world over podcasts a day later, right? And Snarky Faith is on WCOM 103.5 FM in Chapel Hill and Carborough. And WCOM FM is community-supported radio. And Snarky Faith has a new sponsor, Faith Street. So Faith Street is an iOS and Android app that brings like congregations and community groups together that strengthens people's commitment to the church and each other by prompting people with building community, prayer, mindfulness, generosity, reflection, fellowship as, 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 and as kind of daily practices. And the cool story behind me being contacted by them was, was this. They said, hey, we would like to advertise on your show. And I said, okay, what do you do? Well, we make an app uh, that tries to connect churches and, and people together so they can communicate in a better way. And I said, oh, have you ever listened to this show? And they said, yes, we have. And I said, really? Are you okay with what's happening on the show and whatever we're saying on the show? And they said, yes, we like the show and we want to advertise on the show. So I said, okay, okay, just making sure because apparently I'm an idiot and just try to talk my way out of things because I just want to make sure it's a fit because this is not really what you'd call a reverent show that speaking about faith and religion and spirituality. No, not in the least. And, um, and then I did a bunch of like deep thinking. Actually, I reached out to some of my faithful listeners that like to talk to me. I, I actually reached out to some of my friends and said, how do you guys, I know you guys listen to the show. How do you feel about adding sponsors? And they, their one question that I heard over and over again was, are the sponsors going to change what you say and what you do on the radio? And I was like, no, because I told them that. And they said, cool. So my peeps said, cool. Faith Street said, cool. I said, cool. Say, so, hey, we got a sponsor. You should kind of check them out. Faithstreet.com backslash snarky. Mm-hmm. If you're interested in this, it's a, it's a great tool for being able to build communities and churches. All right. So I mentioned earlier that we're going to be doing the show a bit of out of order. We're kind of hitting like the the entree first, and then we will go towards appetizers and desserts, which probably sounds quite disgusting the way I've laid this out. But but ideologically, you understand what I'm doing. We're going to do it in reverse. So let me tell you how I got to this. Essentially, what we're going to be talking today, now that I've gotten all my niceties and I've been fairly articulate and uh, a good boy up until seven minutes of the show, the show topic today is how to unfuck the church. That's right. This Holy Week, we're going to be stuck discussing how to unfuck the church. Now, when we say that, how to unfuck the church, that assumes a major assumption that the church is fucked. Yeah, I said it, and I stand by it. 
and if you've listened to the show for any period of time, this should not come as a shock to you. And if this does come out as a shock to you, you were warned in the intro. I warned you. I warned you. Yeah. Yeah. And somehow the show, at least for a day, still has a sponsor. But yes, this is Holy Week. We are in the place between Palm Sunday, Good Friday. We're marching towards Easter with the crucifixion, with the resurrection. And yes, in this holiest of holy weeks, in the week that is kind of the Super Bowl for church, I am saying the church is absolutely fucked up. Sure, I know this may sound harsh, and this on the most triumphant weekend of the year for the church, where the church spends all of its production budget on trying to wow people that never come to church, trying to get them to, come on, stick around, and at least give us your money today. Come on, it's what Jesus wanted. He won, didn't he? Right? So, now you're kind of understanding a bit of my frame of mind. Now, all of this came about, which is, which is really, really interesting. I, I, I've been having, for those who were listening last week, I, I've, I've had like a long, a long week um, since last week to this week. <laughs> We've had lots of family drama, car accidents, and a bunch of other stuff. And, and on top of it, it just, it just really feels like a, a heavy season. And... And I know there's pandemic, there's a lot of just chaos that's happening in the world, and, and we're, we're called to say that this is the holy weekend, we're supposed to ignore everything and praise Jesus and ignore everything and just say, hallelujah, Christ is victorious. Because Jesus wants us in our Sunday dress and our Sunday bonnet celebrating his death and resurrection, because all he did for us was really just about us dressing up and showing up to Sunday morning for church, right? Yeah. So this came from a conversation. I have, I will tell you, sometimes in these times where, where things are a bit nuts and crazy, it, it helps to be able to have people to be able, to, where you can kind of just be honest with. <laughs> I say that I'm pretty honest with you guys on the air week after week. But it's nice to be able to be honest face-to-face -face with people and have them also continue to be honest back and forth with you and have share discussions and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, so essentially, I do have friends, uh, which is what I'm alluding to. And I do, I have some friends that together we, we hang out every other week virtually because we live all over the country. Uh, we, we, we hang out virtually to talk about theology because we're just dumb and weird like that. And we've been going through this book, Saying No to God by Matthew J. Cortman. I've already talked to Matthew. Matthew will be on this show, and he's actually <laughs> going to hang out with my group of friends to, to talk about his book eventually. I've not wanted to have him on yet because I want to process this book in its fullness, and then also it'll just be fun to see what happens talking with Matthew afterwards. But I will just say, from a standpoint of having great discussion and dealing with theology that may, to some, may seem radical, um but very well scripturally grounded. Um, this is a fantastic read that was, that's challenging and has been, for me, it's just been so much fun. Like I say fun, fun's like a dumb, I need a better word for that. It's been so edifying deeply in my soul to have conversations with people 
who are outside my faith community, who are outside my, my personal tribe community locally, but friends I have abroad online via this show and otherwise, who we just hang out and talk about stuff honestly and openly. And it has been fantastic. Uh, really going through scripture and looking through where we're missing the mark in interpreting scripture and how we should be reading it more correctly in order to walk out the gospel and the truth. Okay, this is not a show about that book. We'll do that. We'll do that down the line. But if you want to check it out and hop on it, it's a fun read. It is really, really, really an engaging read that I have thoroughly enjoyed. So this past Sunday evening, I'm hanging out with 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 my guy friends, and we are we're we're over we're like two thirds of the way through the book. It's not that long of a read, but when you're doing it chapter by chapter every other week with people for discussion purposes, it takes a lot longer than you could probably you could probably finish this book very quickly, like over a day or two. Uh, it reads quick, uh, it's insightful, and it just keeps moving. It's 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 really been a joy for us. And so we're having this discussion more than midway through the book, and this chapter is about violence and being able to reconcile the violence of the Old Testament and some in the New Testament as well, too. And and Cortman, the the author, is kind of taking us through scriptures where we're, we're seeing conflicting scriptures. And and this, this has been a huge area, and he deals a lot of huge areas in faith in this book, um, but this is one huge area of violence when, where it really we really begin to boil things down to trying to figure out which God is the God of the Bible. Because we can read through the Bible and we can ascribe to the God that is full of love and compassion and grace and truth that we see uh, alluded to in the Old Testament, that we see manifested through Jesus, where we see Jesus as being kind of this refocusing agent on the nature of God, where, where in times the, the tribe of Israel or, or the followers up until this point had lost the plot in places, Jesus is here to reframe, this is what God is like. This is what God's kingdom is like. Uh-huh, love, grace, compassion, self-sacrifice, all that kind of stuff, all the stuff that the church doesn't look like today. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that Jesus, yes, that's what Jesus does. Now, we also talk here at and and ad nauseum on the show about conservatism. We talk about evangelicalism and and a lot of the ills of Christianity, where Christianity has gone way off the rails, where Christianity has lost the plot and exists using a lot of the same terminology and words, but their terminology and words mean something different. What do I mean by that? Well, people that ascribe to the mm, I'll say people that lean more towards the angry God of the Old Testament that kind of get a little bit happy and horny when they hear God wanting to murder people because it kind of makes them feel like a little bit better. You know, that kind of a thing, like the people that would say like that, oh, I hate cancel culture because I want to be able to openly hate like it seems <laughs> like God openly hated people in portions and sections of the Old Testament, right? So we kind of have two camps. We've got wrathful God camp and we've got like Jesus being the epitome of love and grace and compassion as God camp, right? So Violence, this, this, this whole conversation of violence in the Bible is, is, very, is very important. And how we reconcile the overall narrative of, of violence in the Bible, how we reconcile that will matter to how we walk out our faith. And when I talk about reconciling this, is being able to look at Scripture and being able to say, and this is, gonna, this is, this is where we're getting into her, heretic territory to many, but I would actually say this is territory where we are learning to read scripture correctly. Most people that throw around the term heretic 
a lot of times that want to be able to say that. They've just heard that term from other people and how they have been brought up um, through the church. They've been told to believe things. They've not been told why. They've been told to believe them. And their faith is simply just being able to regurgitate and stand by those certain beliefs, right? I can give you a list of any 10 things. You stick to them. You say, that's my faith. That's what I believe in. That's kind of where they are at. Now, now you can contrast that with a faith that ends up being very more dynamic, where we are able to hold on to scripture with more of an open hand, being able to say that while, while God has divinely inspired and, and shown up in humanity in scripture, humanity also shows up in scripture and humanity is messy. And we read scripture, we have to also read the thumbprints and fingerprints and smudges of humanity's humanity all over it. It kind of feels like if you've ever had like little kids or even cleaned up after having little kids in your house, how you have like weird, like sticky fingerprints everywhere. Like, like you're like, ah, like where, where did this even come from? How did even this get dirty? Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of the Bible. Like there's God and then there's humanity wrestling through this, trying to get it right, but not always getting right. Sometimes taking big swings and sometimes it's a swing and a miss and sometimes it's a home run. Now, spoken through several metaphors here um, to get to the fact of I'm sitting with a group of men and we are talking about trying to reconcile violence in the Bible and, and how that has changed over our own spiritual walks. And someone brings up the fact, which, which, which I loved. I absolutely love this. Um, talking about how do we, because many of us are talking through this this whole this uh, this process of kind of deconstructing faith and then reconstructing it to like really trying to understand how we, how we walk it out. How, how, what do we do if the church is absolutely fucked? What do we leave to our children? And by that, really, I mean is for those of us that have kind of walked through the church, been burned by the church, but still are clinging to Jesus and saying, there's still something here. And even though a lot of this is messed up and doesn't really make sense to us, there's still something here. And we want to be able to pass that faith and kind of that tradition and that, that mindset down to our children. But we also don't want to put them through these weird hierarchical systems of faith that teach them misogyny and bigotry and hatred that, that teach them that, yeah, that teach them a bunch of stuff that will mess them up. You know, concepts like hell. We talk about things like hell. Which, which the Bible is also very scant in its details on hell, which we could do a whole nother show and a whole nother conversation about hell. But at its very nature, if we want to be able to see the God of the Bible as a God of violence, then hell makes sense. God created hell for bad people to go to, so they are tormented forever. And good people go to heaven where they're praised forever. Either way, like that weird binary type thinking if you think of this, so if God created everything, that would mean that God did create hell. And then that would mean that God would be a God of violence. But if you begin to read scripture differently and begin to see that God is not really talking about hell in the way that it's been framed, especially over the past 200 years, how it's been preached in American and Western Christianity. Okay, hell, hell, hell. We're not even gonna get off on this. Hell happens all the time. Hell happens on earth all the time. People live through hell. People go through hell. God didn't need to create a place that is worse than the hells that we have now. So there is more hellish hell? No, that would, be, that, that would be a very sick, sadistic, and twisted God. 
that would create beings to love him, but if they didn't love him properly or pray a prayer properly, well, to hell to you. I created you as eternal kindling. Easter! Give me my chocolates. Okay, so we're talking about this. How do we walk through this with kids? Now, we're going to fully get to this. How to unfuck the church. I'm actually telling you this because we have a solution. Kind of. No, 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 I don't mean kind of. actually is a solution, but it's not a prescriptive step one, two, and three solution. It's more of a solution of how we have to walk this out kind of like through our mindsets and hearts and, 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 and through like a, a system of, of really just beliefs and ethics of how to walk out our faith in that way. So yes, yes, yes. Is the church, are we able to, <laughs> my own terminology is getting twisted up here. Is the church unfuckable right now? Yes, it is. Um, how do we... <laughs> No, this is not making the church more purdy or handsome on a Saturday night. No, we actually want the church to function and be a mechanism and a movement for good that isn't about like coercion or force or any of this old weird grossness that we've been around. No, but it's a force for good that leads to healing, that leads to new life, that leads to all the things that we hear about when Jesus talks about, right? All of these good things that have nothing to do with heaven or hell that have to do with fixing right here and now. And essentially, if we're not really caring too much about right here and now, then Easter's worthless. Like, what are we celebrating in Easter if we're not really concerned with what is happening to humanity here and now? And how are we invoking the kingdom of God here and now? How do we do that here and now, right? If, if we don't have answers to that, Easter is pointless. It's pointless, folks, but chocolate's good. And I do like Easter candy, but yes. So before we get to the solution, let's kind of walk through in many different ways kind of what we're seeing here. So this is, so first my group, we've got a bunch, it, several of us, at least on this, on this conversation, we're fathers. Fathers wanting to be able to figure out what is, what is messed up and how we can hand off the non-messed up parts to our kids. So, and I do not find this at all by accident. I do not find this at all by accident that this last week, this last week, there was a, there was an article that came out in the New York Times um, talking about <laughs> Rick Joyner. Rick Joyner is, again, he's in the, the grifting category of the Jim Bakers, let's get people to give us money, we'll build stuff, so we kind of show them. Yeah, that kind of a grifter. And so, yes, yeah, so recently he had also, Rick <laughs> Joyner, because people still listen to him, had been telling Christians to prepare for civil war. Yes. Because we need to prepare for civil war, according to Rick, because racism, racism is, was almost defeated until Obama came back in. He's also the guy that'll tell you that eh, when natural disasters happen, they're God being angry at the country and not weather patterns. Because again, let's think about this. So God only hates the areas that have hurricanes and earthquakes and tornadoes. What about the answer? What about the places that have none of those? Las Vegas, Sin City. Apparently, God loves it because He doesn't treat weather patterns. It doesn't say, "Go get them, go get Sin City." God doesn't work that way, right? 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 Well, the article. The article is actually not about Joiner. The article was about Joiner's children. Joiner's children, who would still say that they identify as evangelical, but deplore their father's politics. So what we see in this article is that you actually have the adult children of this minister calling out their father, saying 
he is deplorable and despicable for what he's doing. That, that the gospel that they grew up understanding, the Jesus they understood, and that they are still trying to walk out, make no sense to the father that is preaching and his congregation at all. Now, this isn't the only time that's happened. Because also, many people, if you haven't, if you haven't, <laughs> you should. Uh, John Piper. Yes. Yes, John Piper, who's tons of fun. And by tons of fun, I mean really no fun at all. But, but. For all of you out there that would say John Piper is disgusting, especially like, what was that? I think it was like last year he had said something about how people are going to catch COVID because God wants to punish them. Ooh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, he's also a guy that likes to be able to say that God can cure any mental health problems. So yeah, healthy type of guy that has a ministry and a following that's way too big and healthy. <laughs> See the point where I'm going after today? But, but, children. Let's talk about the children. This is why the children are the hope for the future. And Abraham Piper. If you don't know John Piper's son, Abraham Piper, who has a following on TikTok and Twitter, you really should. Because he is out there unpacking a lot of the dangerous crap his father has talked about his entire life. He's an atheist. His father is, well, whatever disgusting thing John Piper has become. But even we've seen this time and time again, even Jim Baker, who we make fun of in the Christian crazy on our show often, then you have Jay Baker, his son, who actually is out trying to, I mean, Jay has done a lot of work in reconciling the church with LGBTQ community. Uh, Jay has done a lot speaking out against the dangers of evangelicalism and conservatism. So you end up seeing these things to where we have the parents double down, double down, double down, double down on a faith that is more selfish than it is about service and a faith that is more about judgment than it is about love, a faith that is more about hate than it is about acceptance. Yes. So I'm bringing this up because we're beginning to see this change. We're beginning to see this change in America and, and we're beginning to see this change ideologically. Like we are seeing a lot of these children of famous people being able to wake up and smell the coffee and begin to say, hey, 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 hey. Jesus is not that bad, but, you know, what my parents are doing and have made their living off of is terrible. Uh, so there's that, ideological changes, but there's also changes in where people's butts are on Sunday mornings. Recently, I'm reading this from uh, thehill.com, and it's in our, and, well, the article steals the, the thunder in itself. The article's entitled, The U.S. Church Membership Falls Below 50% for the First Time. And what that really means is, the church worship attendance has dropped below 50% for the first time in eight decades. Now, I understand. And I understand we're in a pandemic. Yes, yes. But what I also understand from a lot of my friends that I've talked to that are still working within the confines of the church is that they're seeing the fact that people, COVID has given people an excuse to leave the church and it looks like they're not coming back. The article continues saying this here. It says, U.S. church membership has steadily been declining for the past two decades. Before 2000, church membership had generally stayed around 70% from when Gallup began measuring it in the 1930s. But in 2020, it reached an all-time low of 47%. Now, what's beginning to happen is, yes, COVID. But secondly, I'm going to tell you, it's not coming back. It's not coming back to the numbers it was before. I am just going to go ahead and say that because it's not. It's not. 
Culture has moved. The church has been moving for decades in a different direction, in a direction where it is more about policing culture than it is actually about engaging culture and teaching people how to live more ethically within culture and living out the ways and teachings of Jesus. Okay? Okay? So we've seen this shift happen, and as this shift has begun to move further and further away from the heart of Christ, we also have seen people that are fed up with it and don't want anything to do with it, and I don't blame them. Case in point. Actually, good two that I want to talk about as we're digging into this. Uh, this one, this. Now, all of you may not know this is happening, but the weekend of April 10th and 11th, mark your spiritual calendars because it's the 31st annual Just Pray No to Drugs Worldwide. Mm -hmm. So there is going to be a worldwide weekend of prayer and fasting for the addicted and their families. Yes! Just pray no is a way that Christians unite from around the world in intercessory prayer on behalf of those bound by alcoholism, drug addiction, and destructive compulsive behaviors. Yes, yes, that'll fix everything by us doing nothing. <laughs> I'm not saying prayer does nothing, but I'm also saying is for the longest time, Christians have used prayer as an excuse to not do anything. Like in this situation, there's a drug problem that's in your community. You should go volunteer to help people. <laughs> you should go volunteer to where there's a problem, where there's problems in your community to be able to help people. Why are they doing drugs? Why are their lives in this kind of a situation? It's not simply just that, ooh, Satan's in the drugs, and that's what happens. No, no, no. There's, there's a reason why people are addicted to drugs, and it's not simply just because of addiction. There, there's a lot of underlying psychological issues. There's mental health issues. There's economic issues. There's a whole lot of other stuff that prayer, having a weekend of prayer, to just say no through prayer. Yes, that is useless. If you can, if there's a situation, I'm going to say this. I'm going to say this because I do. I feel like if, if you look at Scripture, this is going to, this should be true. If there's a situation that you can actually, that you actually have the ability to go and help change and fix, why are you praying? Well, God needs to be a part. No, God's told you what to do. Again, this is why we're talking about this on Easter weekend. We, we're this dumb crap like this. This isn't teaching Christians to go out and do the work of Christ in the world. No, we sit at home on the weekend, pray, pray no to drugs. No, no, no. Also, next one, you may have heard about this. Again, this is, this is Christianity completely having no clue, and they've fallen into this year after year after year since I was a little kid. We can all think about this. I mean, we've, I've mentioned this before. Christians are the ones that perfected cancel culture right? I remember from my childhood where all of a sudden a bunch of my toys were evil and my mom had to throw them out. That's because the church told her to do this. Now what happens is this. We have Lil Nas, Lil Nas X and his Satan shoes. It's actually not even just his Satan shoes. He also has a new music video called Montero Call Me By Your Name that comes out which shows Nas going down to hell via a stripper pole and doing a lap dance for Satan while he tricks Satan to steal Satan's horns. Now, now, if you actually watch through the whole video, and, and this, is, this is a problem that, that I feel like the Christians have never grasped and should have, and should have. But like, and, and, and at different points throughout historical Christianity, art has, has been a thing that art has mattered. Nowadays, not so much. Christian art, is not very good. It's, 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 it's on the nose, and you already know what you're going to get before you even look at it. It's kind of works that cardboard. Now, okay, let's talk about Lil Nas. Now, Lil Nas 
is actually homosexual. Now, part of what he is doing here in his music video, he is actually using art to talk about the fact that he doesn't believe the way he was born makes him evil, but that culture has told him that he is evil and he is going to hell. And so this, in a weird sense, in this video, is about also self-empowerment for him. Going and taking the power back from hell and saying, this doesn't matter. Hell doesn't really have anything to do with me, and none of this matters. Hell's not real. This is stupid. But y'all make hell for me. That's how I read a lot of this. So someone who's been struggling through this is speaking out through his art. Why? Because art speaks out against power. And for someone and for large groups of the community that have been raised to believe that they are inherently wrong and evil and going to hell, being able to have a method and art to be able to say, no, this isn't, to be able to flip the script changes everything. Now, there's a difference. There's a difference between this, and I think this is where Christianity has mixed this up. And I still think this also fits in with violence, which is going to be the underlying theme to the problem in the church that we're going to get at. Now, first of all, ideological violence. So telling people that they are going to hell, they're sinful for who they are because they're not like this certain archetype that's not even really in the Bible that we have made up, right? So we need to be like X, Y, and Z to be able to fit into this tribe. And if we're not, we're evil and we're going to burn forever because we're terrible, right? Telling kids that when they're small is, is violence. Teaching kids that is violence in their minds. It, 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 there's no way around that. There's no way around that. What, what Nas is doing here, he's actually doing something that biblical writers did. It is called using a polemic. And a polemic is a way of, of taking a common narrative of the time, a common belief, or, or, or yes, and, and, and changing it to be able to speak in a way that speaks truth to power. Case in point, we'll piss a few people off of this, but <laughs> I'm not wrong. Verse 15 books, I'm sorry, first 15 chapters of Genesis. Uh, if you actually study, if you actually study it at all, you're going to see that the first 15 chapters in Genesis are written in, uh, in a form of poetry. Now, it switches when Abraham enters the scene in Genesis to being a narrative story. So we have, two, we have a form of literature here, which is a poem. Chapters 1 through 15, it's a poem. It's a poem. It's a poem. It's not scientific. It's a poem. But why does this matter? Well, it does matter because during the time which, with which this story was coming out, and this is a story that the, that the children of Israel would tell each other to be able to understand that though they are oppressed, their God is different. The Mesopotamian gods were very distant. They were very far away. They were very unloving. They didn't care about humanity. Humanity just needed to work and get stuff done. And there was a huge disconnect. Now, enter in to the story of Genesis that you have been raised hearing in the Bible. Now, during this time, when this was not the common narrative, to have a story about a God who cares, about a God who creates, about a God who makes from himself, him or herself, to make things like him or her. So God creates, God loves, God cares for. That's a very, very different story. That is a very jarring, different story to what the common ideas of who God was at the time, okay? Polemic, polemic. It's a way that they are actually pushing back against, it's, it's a narrative way of pushing back against the powers of the time. What's Lil Nas doing here? He's pushing back. He's pushing back. He's pushing back. And, and, and conservatives are losing their mind because there was also, <laughs> this is, 
the little Nas uh, X Satan shoes. Yes, he even had his own Satan shoes, Nike Air 97s. Oh, God. He even had the pentagram on it and a reference to 1018. <gasps> and he's only selling a pair of 666 shoes. Uh, 666 pairs of shoes, right? Okay. And they went on sale for Monday. Pair of shoes, $1,000. Guess what? Guess what? Anyone? 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 They sold out. So, one, as much as the church somehow thinks that wearing these shoes is going to make you aligned with Satan, the Satan that it would be aligning with would be more of capitalism than anything. But what Christianity needs to do, especially when we're talking about Holy Week, is being able to figure out what matters again. What matters again? What matters again? Because if we're spending our time going after Lil Nas and his videos and his shoes and all this other kind of stuff and saying, oh, 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 God, the children, what's going to happen? But you know what? You know what? Jesus actually did a lot of kind of what Lil Nas is doing here too in a different way. Let's look at this. Matthew, Matthew, Matthew 5, beginning in 38. Jesus says this, and you'll hear him say this quite often. You have heard that it was said, eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand it over, hand your coat over as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to, give to the one who asks you and do not run away from the one who wants to borrow from you. And you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute against you that you may be children of your father in heaven. So how do you be a child of God in heaven? By loving people, by loving your enemies. What? And see what Jesus is doing here. You see, you hear him say this. You have heard that it was said, but I tell you. What Jesus is doing here is he's doing much what Lil Nas did. And he's telling them, you've heard this. You guys have been raised with this. This is like Old Testament 101, right? Eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. You can do this. But that is not the ethics of God. That is not the ethics of God at all. And in talking about this larger perspective that I began talking about violence and reconciling God and reconciling culture and where do we need to get to? How do we need to get to this place to where we can unfuck the church? So I think the first answer comes hopping back to the book that I was mentioning earlier by Matthew Cortman, uh, Saying No to God. And in the chapter that we were discussing yesterday, he was bringing up a common refrain that people have for Old Testament violence, right? The people oftentimes will have this idea of like, wow, like God just said, like, go mow down this entire group of people because it's cool. Uh, yeah. And uh, kill the men, rape the women, kill the babies, right? You know, because that's in the Bible and it makes sense. Uh, and oftentimes we end up having this weird knee-jerk reaction to things like this. Well... God must have had a good reason. It's God, so God's ways are not our ways. I mean, <laughs> God wouldn't kill people without a good reason, so what's the problem? And so what we do is, in these situations, when we end up justifying this, this, this almost bipolar version of God that we oftentimes see in the Bible, by, by, by defending and propping this up, um, I love how Cortman says what we do here. Cortman says this. He says, by caring more about God than people, strangely, 
God quickly appears more like his famous adversary, Satan. And when we wrestle through, when we wrestle through scripture that was written by people experiencing God, but like all of us were flawed in how they were handling things and when their perspectives as well too. I mean, I, I, I believe that we can still see that flawed people wrote books of the Bible and still see the glory of God. I still think it actually makes it even more beautiful than if we were to say that God somehow avatared into people's brains and made them, I don't know, robot avatar things that just wrote down scripture. But the problem is, if we end up, we have to, step one is this, step one is this, I'll get to this, is figuring out which God are we following? Which God is it? Because are we going to follow the, the God that, that people wrote about murdering and, and saying that murder and all these things were okay? Because if that's the God that we want to embrace, we're going to end up looking like that to where oftentimes we see this Good Lord, we even see that conservative Christianity looks more like ISIS than it does than Jesus nowadays, right? Right? We're marching towards a high holy day, and Christianity in America looks more like ISIS in many ways. Where it's God, I mean, it's guns above God in these situations. And it's it's disgusting. So I think, first of all, which God do we want to follow? Which God do we believe embodies Jesus the most? Now, I feel like there's an obvious answer to this, but I also feel like the way we handle scripture gives us a backdoor cop-out to hate. See, I think that we have to see scripture like Jesus saw scripture. It's been said this, but I tell you this. I would rather, I would rather read the Old Testament through Jesus's eyes as he, as he saw it, well, the Old Testament says, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, right? Someone did something to you, you do it back to them. It's fair. Where the new eth the ethic that we're moving towards in the future, where Jesus says to culture, yeah, that's how they said it. This is the new way. This is God's way. This is the loving way. This is the new ethic of the kingdom of God is moved and, and pushed forward by love and not coercion. And when we begin to break down in so many ways, how the Bible has been allowed to justify violence against people, but then how that's also allowed Christianity to continue systems of violence against people, to continue the patriarchy, to continue racism and hatred and bigotry, to continue that, 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 that our tribe is small and only the best are here. Why am I the best? Because I'm here and you're not. As opposed to a God that we should be celebrating at Easter that says our table is large and there's room for everyone at it. Because that is a huge difference. To celebrate the fact that many will do on Sunday that somehow Jesus flexed his way out of the tomb Rambo style and, and was just, he almost like tore himself off. He was so manly and victorious and a king. Victory, victory, victory. But really, really, in the Christian tradition, what does success look like? What does victory look like? Doesn't look like the way we want to frame it. Doesn't look like military conquest. That's what, that's what literally why Jesus, like, like the Jews <laughs> in Jerusalem in the time thought Jesus was going to take over. They thought he was going to kick Rome's butt and establish them again. And he starts preaching things like, no, love your enemies. What? I don't like that. 
My enemies are not nice to me. Yeah, but God wants you to love them. Yeah, but I think God should tell, God would, it'd make me feel a lot better if God told me that he wanted them dead. But that's not what God says. But that would make me feel better. Since when is Christianity about making you feel better? This is America, damn it. I forgot. Christianity in America is all about making you feel better. Wonderful. Now, I return to all of this in this weird and wild show that <laughs> we've been going around here. I return to the conversation I had earlier with my friends about what, what, what are we leaving for our children? As we are marching towards Holy Week, as we are, we are looking towards the Stations of the Cross and the significance of all that happened, what are we actually leaving our children? And we wrestled, actually, we, it was funny. Once that came up, we wrestled with that for the longest. And some of the truth that, that, that I'll pull out and share to you was simply this. We have to, and I think this is a very Jesus-y way of handling things. What did, how did Jesus hand off the church to the next generation? That's kind of also the awesomeness of the resurrection. So Jesus dies. He gets, he's raised from the grave. He's resurrected, right? And does he just keep going? No, no. Eventually he like, all right, I've told you guys enough. Peace out. Now the kingdom of God, the gospel, that's in your hands now. And do you know how old the disciples were in the Bible? We may see pictures and icons that show them in old white beards, but no. These were like most likely mid-20s to mid-teens. So Jesus knew the heart of the kingdom of God involved sacrifice, compassion, love, and risk. And risk, which a lot of times we end up calling faith. Believing in something is bigger, is bigger than any of us, is realizing that God is still in this. And so he hands the keys to the kingdom over to the disciples and says, I'm out of here. You guys go do what I've told you to do. Much like parents, it feels like we're in the same place. And, and as we were talking through the conversation, it, it, it hit me. And I was like, ah, we do have an Old Testament. We do have an Old Testament reference to this about how things are supposed to go. And I think that we are able to see this in the story of, uh, of Moses and the children of Israel. So you know the story from Sunday school. So the children of Israel are rescued from their oppressors. They cross the Red Sea, and then they're in the wilderness for 40 years. Now, in the time of the wilderness, God's doing a lot of work within them. He's actually working with them to establish kind of new codes of ethics and what his kingdom should look like. And he's also dealing with a lot of junk from them. But eventually what happens is he's using Moses to lead them. Moses is kind of the granddaddy of the whole situation, trying to lead them, teach them, give them all he's got. But then Moses also realizes, you know what? The promised land where you guys are going, that's not for me. And Moses' story ends with Moses going up on a mountain and hanging out with God and watching them go off to their own glory without seeing it himself. That's the beauty of Christianity. It's the beauty of really what happens on Easter is that God was, was loved us enough, was risky enough to be able to show us how to do it and then says, you guys do it. Because if I stay here, you're not going to do it. You guys do it. You guys do it. We see that. And, and I think that as we hear the church in America is dying, 
as we hear that happening, as we hear that that uh, attendance is down, churches are closing, all this stuff moving forward. I've told you this and I, uh, before, and I'll, I'll say it again. It, it does not make me sad. I, I think that this is actually a very exciting time. I think this is an exciting time where we begin to see the parts of the faith that are not really meant to be there, like dying off. Uh, where we begin to see ministries that shouldn't exist dying off. We begin to see charlatans getting called out and their flocks thinning. I mean, I, I think the greatest hope we can do, and again, <laughs> I will take, I will note the irony in a situation with a bunch of white dads, <laughs> not a bunch, just a few white dads talking about the future of the church and how silly that is in its own concept. But I do think the truth that came out of this was we have to be willing to be faithful here as it burns down to continue to be there for those younger people. And they are going to be the ones that are going to reinvent this. We remain faithful as we walk out Jesus with them. But it's not our job to figure out what the promised land looks like. It's not our job to figure out what happens next. It's just our job to walk out what we are called to do in our space that we have here. If you want to look at Jesus and think of Jesus and Easter and think of successful ministry, you're not going to find it. A guy that started attracting followers that the more he preached about the hard truths of life of, well, yeah, you really need to love your neighbors. You really need to be sacrificial. Money's really not going to make you anywhere closer to heaven. And the crowds would thin. So Jesus, really unsuccessful ministry, gets killed in the end. And it's those that come after him that carry the torch. So in many ways, I feel like the beauty of Easter is the fact that we're still here, that this is still going, that God is still moving today, that God still matters here and now. I feel like that is the beauty of Easter. I mean, if you really think of it, I think Jesus already knows Jesus died and rose again, and Jesus is not that egotistical where I believe that Jesus would be like, oh, you don't need to worship me on my birthday and my special spring day. Hmm. No. I think more or less Jesus would be like, why are you in churches? Why aren't you out? Like, there's a pandemic. Why aren't you helping people? Why aren't you feeding people? Why aren't you helping people who, whose mortgages are defaulting? Why aren't you going and doing that? Why are you worried about fog machines? Why are you worried about hymnals, songs, music, all this, Sunday dresses, Easter hats, suits, any of this? Why are you worried about any of this? Have you learned anything in the past 2,000 years after <laughs> following after Christ? Has the church learned anything? Sadly, Yes and no. I feel like more no's than yes. Because Easter, in many ways, should be a celebration of us. A celebration of God's creation. A celebration of what continues on. A celebration that we have gotten certain things right, but we've gotten a lot wrong. A celebration that there are, <laughs> there are tougher days ahead of us, um, but we are necessary ingredients into a world that needs hope. You are a necessary person to be new life, to be resurrection to your neighbor. There are spaces where you need to show up, where you need to show up and be Jesus. Not caring if it turns into a ministry, not caring what comes of it. No, no, just be Jesus because Jesus wasn't looking to start up a ministry. Jesus was looking to walk out the ways of God. And Easter every year should be a reminder, hey, Keep doing that. But we like victorious Jesus, victory, victory. No, 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 
No, no, no. We need to live in Good Friday. Because we don't always get to see if there's a Sunday. But you got to still do Good Friday. Because that's what we were called to do. That's what Christ has called us to do. Easter is about a higher ethic. Easter is about a better way forward. Easter is about mankind coming together and embracing the truth that God loves us, that, that God is with us, and also that God's not done with us. So when I see Easter, I see service. I see the servitude of Jesus. I see the drive that told Jesus to just keep going, regardless of the cost, telling us, keep going, fight the good fight, defend those who need to be defended, give dignity back to those who need dignity. Because ultimately, if Easter is only about Jesus being victorious, then our faith is really just about us wanting to be on the winning team. And when it really becomes about us wanting to be a winning team, it really just is all about us. And for a faith that moves forward, a faith that embraces Easter, a faith that is unfucked. I mean, it's not that hard, people. The core of the kingdom of God <laughs> is about love, compassion, and self-sacrifice. If you don't understand that is the core of Easter, yeah, don't understand anything, and you might as well just quit while you're ahead. No, 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 no. I don't want that for you. No, 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 no. There's more. There's always more. And God is still moving in the world today. It's just a matter of whether or not we want to engage with where God is moving. The church is not hopeless. In its current form, maybe it's, <laughs> maybe it's hopeless because uh, people do not want to change and they're perfectly happy with their inert, impotent systems that they have created in order to make them money. But to really walk out the heart of Easter, it begins with you and you and you and me and all of us individually, and hopefully collectively, being able to hear that God is not done with humanity, that, that new life still happens. And, and it's kind of a weird idea to wrap your head around that the kingdom of God only continues and only exists as long as we kind of do it. Yeah, yeah. It's quite an invitation. And it's quite a different way for us to be able to look at where the church is going and, and, and the holiest day of the year. Yes. Well, thank you for journeying with me this hour. For those that earlier I had promised, I'd promised Christian crazy. Don't worry. Don't worry. Don't worry. Hang around at the end of the show. It'll be there. It'll be there. But me here on the radio, I can't stay here any longer. But before I send you off, just a reminder to share the show, subscribe, and give Snarky Faith a review over on Apple Podcasts. It helps to get the word out to new listeners. If you want to reach out to me directly, hit me up at questions at snarkyfaith.com. I thank you for being a part of this show week after week. I appreciate all of you. As I release you out into the wild, wide world, I send you out with the holiest amount of grace and snark and peace. And may Easter be a time that does not necessarily comfort you. Let Easter be a time that challenges us all as we move from Palm Sunday to Good Friday and to Easter morning.
Because if we look at that whole journey, we find ourselves in those different places where we are celebrating God, where we feel like God isn't there anymore. And then God surprises us. Because even that small microcosm of, of faith and doubt and life being topsy-turvy and making sense at times and not making sense at times. That microcosm is a lot like the journey of faith. And the better way is, the better way is for us to walk them out would not be through posturing, through fakery, or through building ourselves up. No, 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 no. These things are embraced when we are more truthful to ourselves and we share more of ourselves with others, where we are more honest and transparent, where we operate in a way that allows others to see us, the good, the bad, the other, but to see us for who we really are. Because we know that our stories have power and that God can use our stories to change lives. You guys enjoy the rest of your week. I will catch you guys again next time. I am out of here. Peace! Faith Street is an iOS and Android app that brings congregations and communities together. It strengthens people's commitment to the church and to each other. It builds community by promoting prayer, mindfulness, generosity, reflection, fellowship, and teaching as daily practices. If you're a leader of a community of faith, Faith Street should be an app that you definitely check out. Snarky Faith listeners receive 20% off. So all you need to do is go to faithstreet.com backslash snarky. That's F-A-I-T-H-S-T-R-E-E-T dot com backslash snarky. So yes, you waited. You waited all the way to the end. And I know, I know, I know I got long-winded today, but I didn't want to leave you guys with empty Easter baskets. Tear. You don't want to be the only kid on the block without some chocolates or some of the choicest cuts of Christian nuts. Yes, I'll throw you guys in a couple of little bonus, little bonus Easter eggs here of the Christian crazy of the week. If loving the Lord is wrong, I don't want to be right. Lord have mercy. The Lord is my shepherd. He know what I want. Now this week's abbreviated, uh, what do we call this? Overtime version of the Christian crazy is going to be all ladies because it was the ladies who discovered the tomb was empty. The men didn't believe them until they saw it, but the ladies were there first. All right? So Christian crazy usually is dominated by the male gender. <laughs> but just showing the ladies can do the crazy just as well as the men. We're all about equality here. Starting us off, and this is going to have a bit of a, a political spin to it today. What? I know. The Christian crazy is about, oftentimes, religion and politics, but let's talk about politicians that use religion. Oh, former Congresswoman Michelle Bachman. Oh, she's been praying. She's been praying. 
So let's see. <laughs> see, see what she's got to say here. Go for it, Michelle. I want everyone to realize what we're living through and what we're witnessing is a coup. This is called a coup. And a coup is a political term. And what it means is an unlawful, unauthorized takeover of a legitimate government. America had a legitimate government, but this is an unauthorized illegal takeover through voter fraud in last November's election. And then now HR1 is to forever cement that illegal takeover into place. But make no mistake about it. What we're watching is a coup. You see, I think the word you're searching for me here, Michelle, it, it's this all comes down to pronunciation, right? Coup. Coup. Coup's what a baby does. Coo, coo, coo. No, I think you're missing a consonant. You're looking for kook. That's what this is. Kook. Uh-huh. Cause I think you're still a little mad that you said that you prayed and sealed up the election 110% for Donald John Trump, and you're still stuck on the fact that we're that what? It was taken, it was cheated? No! White privilege! Ah! Don't boomers always get their way? <laughs> and if you thought that was nuts. I will up my ante here. I'm not even a good poker player because I'm going ahead and telling you here. Do not bet against my hand because I bring to you for the final bit of Christian crazy for this special edition here. Marjorie Taylor Greene. You don't get crazier than her. Yet, I mean, no, no, no. She's she like, I swear she went like minor league straight to the pros and crazy like right away. Woo! You go, girl. You go, girl. Because Marjorie Taylor Greene knows it's hard being a Christian. It's hard being a Christian. And like, like such a Christian like her. Like, oh, persecute. Oh, 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 it's so hard being like me. It's so hard being so godly. Oh, it's just the burden. The bur Listen to her burden. Thoughts and prayers. And I believe on a spiritual level, it is a spiritual war because when you're someone that is constantly... Um, speaking God's truth and, and putting it out there, you get attacked. And I've been attacked more than any other member of Congress, possibly in history. Oh, I like that. Like, I, I you know, the most in history. I, I've never been, I, there's been no one that's been persecuted more than me. <laughs> Easter, people on Easter should celebrate me. 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 Because I'm so persecuted. Because it's, because everything I say is, I'm speaking, I'm speaking my truth. I'm speaking from the word of God. Jewish space lasers, oh, totally true. It's in the Old Testament. It's in the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. If you were a better Christian, you could find it in the Old Testament. I'm not even going to tell you where it is in the Old Testament because, you know, if you were that good, you would have already seen it. And that, I tell you, my friends, is the end. The end of the show. The end of the show. I will catch you guys again next week. Out of here. I'm out of here. Peace.